Well, as Robin said, we are in Advent, and in the lead-up to Advent, uh, we've been working through uh, this little series called uh, A Christmas Playlist, and I basically stole this idea from Alistair Begg. Uh, he's written a book uh, called A Christmas Playlist, so there you go. And this book just is looking into the first songs that were ever written um, in relationship to Christmas. This uh, Christmas playlist that was put together by our good friend, Dr. Luke. We're pretty familiar with Luke. We've been working through his gospel for the last two years. We're up to chapter eight, I think. So we're, we're relatively familiar with him. And Luke, as we know, has recorded down the eyewitnesses accounts of Jesus' life. And, and in this case, he's written down the ear witness accounts uh, of these songs songs like the one that we heard sung to the shepherds this morning from the angels. He's, he's written down their account of what they heard. Songs like we heard from Mary, the mother of Jesus, from, from Zachariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, but sang about uh, what God was doing in the world through Jesus and that his son was going to bear witness to that. And then, and then next week, uh, Luke probably wouldn't have got to Simeon because Simeon's like, now that I've seen the Lord, I can die in peace. So he probably wasn't around to collect the royalties from his song by the time uh, Jesus, uh, by the time Luke sort of wrote it up into his gospel. But we know that Luke would have got the account from Mary, who was there to hear it. And we know as we read Luke's gospel that Mary treasured up, like she she put these things that were said about Jesus, who he is and what he's like. She heard them, they went into her into her mind and they and they went into her heart and they and they began to shape her understanding of what who God is and, and what he's up to and what he's doing. So, you know, he Simeon's song would have easily uh, come from Mary if she just recalled what he said about Jesus. And what we find is that these songs, they help us Understand what was going on uh, at, at the nativity of Christmas and why it's not just another one of these fables or myths that, that, that we, we kind of like hear about, but rather it's, it's, it's actually a concrete historic event and how that event in history comes into history to help us understand how to relate to God. Like these four songs that take us into the very heart of Christmas and, and should help us uh, in our current approach and, and understanding of Christmas understand how it is that we can know God, how it is that we can approach God and how he approaches us. Help shape our thinking around the Christmas narrative. So let, why don't we, let's pray again and then we're just going to get at this uh, song that uh, Bronte read to us this morning. Well, loving God, we want to thank you that we can, that you have, that you saw fit, your spirit saw fit to uh, inspire men like Luke uh, to make historic record of, of the Christmas story so that we could, for years and centuries to come, just dive into it and, and, and just understand and have our hearts warmed uh, by your movement towards us, that we are not alone in this world, not trying to scratch around and, and work our own way to things, but you have come and, 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 and revealed yourself to us and made known your will and your plans and all these kind of things for us. And we pray this morning as we look at this song uh, that you would speak truth and life to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, I don't know, I quick little, I think my thing is, oh no, here we go. I didn't, uh, there you go. Awesome, I'm just getting used to using my clicker again. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but since the advent of social media, 
uh, you know, you can basically film a movie. Like, that's what Sandy's doing. You can film a movie on an iPhone now, and it's cinematic production. So since the advent of these social media platforms and phones and things, no longer do we have to go to something. And I don't know, folks, you can remember these things called newspapers. Uh, they used to exist, but we were against cutting down trees, so we, we killed them, and we went and used all our rare minerals to make phones. But... These, these, oh, what's going on? these newspapers, we used to put our announcements in them about the birth of our children, but we don't need to do that anymore because like everything else that comes, we're living in this highly uh, competitive connectivity uh, that we have with all our social media platforms, birth announcements have kind of gone a little next level with people kind of carefully choreographing and recording and, and adding all kinds of special effects and filters and, and you name it to make their birth announcement just stand out in the crowd, make, make their birth announcement more memorable, more notable than, than someone else's. And creativity and originality gets your birth announcement kind of trending uh, and, and reproduced by others. Other people start to copy and go, yeah, that's cool, we'll do that when, when we have our triplets. It's a big business with platforms like Pinterest and TikTok and WhatsApp and is anyone still using Facebook anymore? Yep, uh, these kind of things are all providing avenues and opportunities for getting the exciting news out that you are that you are either having or have had a child, a, a um, little unit, getting it out into the public domain with maximum likes, maximum impact for for your little um, plug there on social media. And then as we do come all the child-affirming sort of predictions about this child, there, look at little Doug, little Dell, you know, whichever way it is, in their cute little uh, Iron Man or Spider-Man outfit, you know, they're going to grow up and be a superhero and change the world if they just follow their dreams and, and really play into their strengths and live their best life. And normal, kind of rational people, uh, parents who are just still recovering from the birthing suite experience, say all these kind of crazy things about their children. But for all their photoshopped, uh, filtered, sort of movie-making, uh, creative technology that we have, uh, over-the-top kind of sentimental predictions that we make about our children... Nothing really stacks up against actually having angels turn up and announce the birth of your child. Angels turning up and heralding news about who your child is and, and what your child has come to do. In particular, once the head angel's done that, then he's got a backing choir of a host of angels who just burst into song and praise of God because your child has turned up and then begin to sing praise because of the promise of peace to the world that your child is going to bring. Like after that, everything else kind of seems a little ho-hum, a little kind of, yeah, whatever. Like nothing would get your birth announcement trending like angels turning up and delivering incredible news about the birth of your child. It's the kind of announcement that would get, you know, social media trending, the world buzzing about what this child is going to be like. And that's the kind of birth announcement that we read about today, about Jesus. That's what happens. Only we don't find this announcement taking place in all the right social media avenues that we would normally expect it to happen on all the right platforms. It isn't taking place at the religious kind of 
epicenter of, of religious activity in Jerusalem at the temple. It isn't happening there. It's not happening at the epicenter of, of power or, or, or social influence in Rome. The announcement doesn't play, take place where we might expect it to get the most traction, the most, you know, amongst, amongst the moral, amongst the good, the upright, the elite, the social influences. This birth announcement is actually taking place over some fields on the outskirts of Bethlehem where some shepherds, you know, just a couple of lads sitting around or possibly, you know, it could have been a family, a family of people shepherding their own sheep. We, we don't know. But they're keeping watch over their sheep, their flocks at night. And, and as this announcement, this incredible announcement takes place, it gives spiritual significance to the how of God's arrival. It's inclusive of those who are normally overlooked by organized religion and pop culture. When God went public, or that God went public first to the shepherds, shows that God's salvation, what he has to say about, about what's taking place is for everyone, regardless of their religious standing, regardless of their social standing. This is how God has come. He came to those who would receive him. He turned up amongst those who would uh, take in what they were hearing as being for them, that you need to hear this. This message is for you. He turned up to people who would actually stop and listen and hear that. Not because It wasn't a message that came to those because of them, who felt like they deserved it. Like, yeah, of course God would come up and, 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 and make the announcement to me. I turn up to church every Sunday, I tithe, I this or that, look how good I am. No one is actually entitled to God's favor, but it is always good news and great joy when it turns up and it's received. Well, the arrival of God, as humble and, and unnoticed as it may well have been down in Bethlehem, like down there uh, where Mary's given birth, like people don't even know what's going on. There's just some, some chicken dude out in the stable and there's a lot of screaming and no one really knows what's going on. It's, it's, it's unnoticed. But it will not go by unnoticed without some kind of significance being given to it. And so up on the hills, out in the fields, we hear this anthem, glory to God in the highest. And as the angels burst onto this scene, uh, heaven addresses earth with this song of, of the arrival of its saviour, of its Messiah and of its Lord. It's a song making much, an announcement making much of how it is that God has come. And what we find as we read through this passage, that God has come personally. The angel begins with, personally, and into uh, human history, the angel begins with this good news, and he locates it in history. It's an actual event. It's taking place, Luke uses the phrase, today. Like, it's not, it's not who knows when it's going to take place, you know, sometime, somewhere, it could happen. It's not like once upon a time. It's like today, right now, down in Bethlehem, historic event taking place, down in the town of David. However, as I just said, this town, this town of David, is not Jerusalem like we're used to here in the town of David. It's Jerusalem, but it's Bethlehem. And it's kind of Luke's cheeky way of reminding people that God does not and has never operated out of places or people of power, but rather from little-known places and through little-known people. As Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Well, that day is today. That ruler has turned up. A savior has been born. It's the first description, a savior. And that, and that, in the context of this, in the context of how they would hear, it means that someone, someone promised is coming to rescue, someone who delivers people from death and destruction. It's kind of like what God has done for his people throughout history time and time again. And the implication is that we actually need saving, that we need a savior to come and turn up. And here he is today into human history. But this savior who is going to save us is also the Christ, which is a Greek word for Messiah, a title attached to this mysterious figure that emerges throughout the Old Testament of an anointed kingly ruler that God has promised, who, who, who when this kingly ruler turns up is going to heal and, and, and reclaim and bring God's rule and reign into effect into people's lives. But most astonishingly, uh, what the angel announces is that this baby who is Savior and the Christ is also Lord. Luke has used the title Lord over a dozen times already in his gospel, and always this word is used with reference to God. Now this child born down there in the city of David is Lord, is, is God. Divine, sovereign ruler over all things and all lives. So as the line of that Christmas carol, Silent Night, goes, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Not maybe Lord as if somebody acknowledges him or something like that, but no, the moment he stepped into creation, God, Lord, ruler, saviour, king. By using this word Lord, the same word uh, that Greek-speaking Jews used to translate the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, the personal name of God, the name that God gave himself, like God's name isn't actually God. Um, that's just a name we give deities, things. God gave himself his name, and that name is Yahweh, kind of like my name isn't Pastor, it's Mason. The angels are saying that God has not sent in a proxy. God has not sent a prophet or a priest. God has turned up personally. I have a little bit to do uh, with some of Australia's most elite sporting personalities. And from time to time, these guys uh, will drop in at hospitals and they'll drop in at schools and, and just make their presence there with people. And, and, and appropriately and rightly, people are always grateful and, and, and of the humble gift of their time and their presence with, with the sick people, sitting at people's beds and all this kind of stuff. Well, at Christmas, it's not a sporting celebrity that's dropped in. It's the one who created the very DNA of these sporting heroes. It's the one who spoke, spoke the universe into existence and whose, whose voice, whose speech holds the universe together. God, in the person of Jesus, has made himself available, has made himself approachable and accessible. This child, Jesus, is, is not merely different or unique. He is God in the flesh. He is the promise of God to heal humanity, its saviour. 
And that's not just some kind of subjective claim. That's just not Mary kind of thinking, oh, I wonder what all this means, or, or even the shepherds trying to make their own interpretation of that. This is actually God speaking, God's announcement from heaven through the angels. As Riken points out in his commentary, what makes this song different from others is that it was sung by a chorus of angels. It was not a hymn that rose up from the earth, but an anthem that came down from heaven. It is heaven making known revelation of the true uh, divine glory of Jesus Christ, who is this child who's just kind of lying in a manger down there in Bethlehem at the moment. These shepherds were the first to hear all this before Wesley you know, put it into a hymn to sing back the other way. Well, not only does God come personally, but the news about his arrival is of personal address. It's not generalized news, but it comes to each heart personally. It comes intimately. The angel says in verse 10 there, he says, I bring you good news. It's personal address. You, shepherd, right there, you. I bring you good news. For unto you, verse 11 there, a child is born. Verse 12, and there'll be a sign for you. You will find the news that Jesus born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph, this news, this Jesus you find sleeping in the animal's feeding trough is your personal saviour. Not just some generic saviour of the world, but yours personally. He is your personal Lord. As God's promised grace to you. And because that is the case, you and only you are responsible for how you respond. And you and only you will one day have to answer for how you answered the question, what did you do? What did you do with the news about the child in the manger? The news surrounding this child that had entered into human history. Just as it was true for the shepherds, it is true for you and I. God has made himself known. God is not socially distanced. God has come in. He breaks into human history. He comes near and he makes himself known to us in the person of Jesus. Everything about this birth communicated that God was approachable. Everything about this birth communicated that he had come to identify with every class of people. There is not one single person who is uh, excluded from the news that is attached to Jesus. You can be a shepherd, the kind of people who normally get excluded and overlooked uh, from, from religious acceptance and included into these kind of things. Or as Matthew's gospel points out, he, comes, he speaks of the... Of, the wise men, scientists at the top of their game, unraveling the mysteries of the cosmos, the elite, they too approach Jesus. But when the shepherds went there, when they eventually go there, they are not going to find a child, you know, couched in royal splendor, hidden behind layers and levels of security, as they might have expected, a king, a messiah, someone royal to be, to be found. But they will find this king, this saviour, this God lying in poverty. God has humbled himself to come to us. At the centre of our story of salvation is the humbling of our God. What the manger establishes, the cross will complete. God has come to serve us by giving of his life across, across all lines. So anytime that you're sitting there and you're thinking, God is asking me to give up too much. God is asking me, he's asking too much of me to come into relationship with him. Then maybe you need to spend a bit more time 
thinking about the manger. And maybe you need to spend a bit more time thinking about the cross. The angel is doing more than telling these shepherds what has happened down in the city of Bethlehem. He tells them why it matters. The angel is singing glory because God himself has come to save, to serve, to redeem. As Alistair Begg states in his book, this is unparalleled, this is unique, this is mysterious. And Luke is claiming it as history, as historical. Like it's just completely unparalleled in any religious story ever. This is unique. And it came into history. The coming of God at Christmas is this historic fact. And it brings us to the song that the angelic host burst into as heaven addresses earth, explaining how God has come. God has come to make peace. God has not come to judge and condemn the world. God has not come as a warrior to destroy the world. God has not come as a self-help guru. You know, you're okay, just try a little harder. That is not the motive or the mission of Christmas. Peace is. It turns out you're not okay. You're at war. You're at conflict. You, you need peace to come in to your life. Angel says, peace on earth. So it's not, a, it's not a peace as a concept or some abstract idea, but peace as an objective experience, a concrete reality, a fact of the soul. Christmas means that we can know peace. Peace has come in tangible ways, but not a peace that is achieved through um, political or military might. The first Christmas actually took place in peace achieved like that, in political and military peace. It was known as the... As the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But as one of the most famous contemporary philosophers, and I'm not going to get his name right, but here we go, Epictetus. I'll say it quickly so you don't actually hear me pronouncing it. He wrote this. While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion and grief and envy. He cannot give peace of the heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. The peace that the angels sing about is the peace that Epictetus wrote about, an internal peace, a peace of the soul that does not come about merely through external, political, educational, military presence, but from the presence of God, from the presence of his favor coming and resting on your soul. This peace is not the absence of troubles. It's not, it's not peace that's identified by the absence of troubles and conflict and strife and family dysfunctions and, and pandemics, although that peace is coming one day. But if that was the kind of peace that was the sole goal of Christmas, we would have to say that the mission has failed spectacularly. There is more conflict and strife and anxiety and fear in our lives than we know what to do with This peace is not the absence of these things, not the absence of this stuff, but this peace is actually the presence of something coming in and amongst all of that strife and chaos and mess. This peace is the presence of something found in someone, the favor of God that comes to us in the person of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest because he has come to make peace with us 
personal address with our soul between us and him. He has come to put our souls at rest. Jesus is God as peacemaker. And the good news first announced to the shepherds about the baby whose identity is Savior, Messiah, and Lord, and whose mission is peace. This good news is for all to hear, like no one's excluded from this news. But it rests on, it takes effect on, and transform those, transforms those who, who, who respond to it by seeing Jesus as Savior, as God's promised restorer, as Lord. It is a peace that comes from the glory of God establishing its weight and its presence and its rule in your life. We are fundamentally committed to the idea that the only way that we can actually be happy is if we are wholly and solely in charge of our lives, if, if we are our own saviors, if we are our own kings, if we are our own rulers. It's an idea that the Bible calls sin, and it's an idea that puts us at enmity with God and with each other because this desire to be in control to run the show leads to conflict. It leads to conflict with God and it leads to conflict with others. As we try and control our lives, as we try and be our own saviors, anybody who gets in the way of that, anybody who doesn't do something that we think makes us happy, then, then we feel we've got to fix that. We aren't. We're anxious. We're fearful. Hostility with God, no peace with God, produces all kinds of insecurity and fear that leads to hostility with each other. The good news of Christmas, however, is that, is that Jesus, who takes on human likeness and assumes a human nature, we, we sing in that Christmas carol, vowed in flesh the Godhead see, has come uh, and bridged that gap, that chasm between the warring parties, between us and God. And you might say, or you might think, well, I'm not at war with God. I might be indifferent. I might be a little dispassionate. At worst, I could even be nominal, but I wouldn't say I'm willfully opposed to God. However, the Bible is very clear that you are either reconciled to God and, and have his favor, his friendship ruling your life. He is Lord and Savior, or you are at war with him. And that war is actually over who is in charge. Who is your Savior? Who is your source of life? Who is your king? Who is your Lord? If it's you, then you've set yourself up a war with the true ruler and king. What to do? When God wanted to make peace with us, he did not come with shock and awe. He came in mercy mild. This will be a sign to you, says the angel there in verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. There, go see your peacemaker, go see your saviour, go see your king, go see your God and encounter his peace breaking into this earth. Not peace as a theory or some disembodied afterlife experience, not peace in something, not peace through drinking or whatever. Peace as a person. Peace that comes for us, that pursues us, that seeks us, comes knocking on the door of our lives 
in whatever environment you find yourself and seeks to establish its weight, its glory in your life as an anchor for your soul, to become the bass note of the song that your soul sings in all kinds of storms, in all kinds of chaos. The angel says that this piece is specific. It's not universal. It takes effects and transforms the souls of ones on whom God's favor has found a home, has rested. Like there was no room for Jesus in, in, in inns we like to sing. And the question is, is that still the case? Is there no room for this Savior? Is there no room for this Messiah who wants to bring peace? Peace comes to those who have responded to God's good news that he has come to end the hostility between humanity and God and allowed it to come in, allowed it to transform their hearts. I wonder, have you ever begun thinking about God like this? Are your first thoughts towards God that he is actually a peacemaker, that he is a peace initiator? That Jesus has come to reconcile uh, people who are sinful, who are hostile, and even controlling toward God. And through his agency and through his life, make peace, offer peace between God and people. Unless you begin at this point, that you need God to initiate peace in your life through the person of Jesus, you will never know God's favor. You will never know his mercy, his grace, his presence, his, his peace, because you are going to be fundamentally trying to achieve that yourself. The peace that the angel announced and put into song is a peace for which humanity yearns. It is the peace of God that invades our time and history, that comes to earth, that invades our lives personally, us, you based on the discovery of peace with God that comes to us at Christmas in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this message to us of your coming, your arrival. Uh, we call it Advent, and we're grateful that you have... Um, written it into song so that we can know uh, of your intention towards us. And this morning we have learned that you move toward us to make peace. That's the Christmas story. You have come to make peace. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn peace. Peace on earth, peace on earth with those on whom your favor rests. Our prayer is that, you, uh, that we as a church, as we as individuals, as we look into Jesus, as we look into who he was and what he came to do, that in him we would see the truth that our, that our souls long for, a peace, a peace with God, and, a, and then that pushes out and allows us to be at peace with each other. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.